the voice of the Razorbacks, Paul Eels, right? Anybody remember him? Um, we sat right next to him while he was calling the game. And um, this illustrates something very important to me, and this is a life lesson for all of you. Um, if you act like you belong, you can pretty much go anywhere you want on the planet. <laughs> and so there I am with my dad, and we're sitting right next to the people that are writing their articles for um, the, the, the sportscasters and all of those things. And we had really no business being in that room. But because we thought in that moment that we had this access, we were going to take advantage of it for the full four hours that we were going to be in that stadium. And that's a story that we um, remind each other to this day. And um, that's a little bit of the spirit of what we're going to look at in Hebrews chapter 4. Not do you have access to uh, a mere sporting event where you get to kind of see behind the scenes. We have access to the greatest, most lasting, most satisfying presence in the universe, God himself. We have an all-access pass. And what we're going to look at in Hebrews chapter 4 is the fact that we have a great high priest who identifies with us in our weakness and in our suffering, who opened a way so that we can experience the nearness and the presence of God and mercy and grace and help in our time of need. That God's presence is uniquely designed to meet us where we are, and particularly if you're in the room this morning and you're suffering. That God draws near to brokenhearted people. He saves the crushed in spirit. And he does that by his presence. By revealing his self to us. And that access that we have is not based on your goodness. It's not based on your badness. It's not based on whether you think you had a good week or a bad week. But it's based solely on the fact that Jesus Christ mercifully has opened a way to the Father that we can draw near. And as we draw near to God, He, in fact, draws near to us. So if you have your Bibles open, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 14. If you have your Bibles open, would you stand with me as we read God's Word? Hebrews 4, verse 14. Since then we have a a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This is the invitation. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Father, we do so much want to take you up on your invitation to draw near. But we know that in our own hearts, in our own lives, there are so many obstacles that would keep us from wanting to draw near. Whether that's our own record or our own performance, our own physical 
nature and just the enduring of a time change. All of those things can make it difficult to focus in a moment like this. But I pray that you would send your spirit to perform your word in our hearts. That we would take you at your word and that we would receive the gift that satisfies. That we would draw near. I pray for those that are suffering. For those that are broken hearted. I pray that they would receive very specific help in their time of need. I pray that you would build into us as your people a passion for your presence. I pray that you would not let us be satisfied with a mere religious service, but that when we come together that we would want to draw near and feast on you because you are good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what we have in Hebrews chapter 4 is one of the boldest invitations in all of Scripture. To come just as you are, to receive mercy and grace and help in your time of need, not based on who we are, but based on what Jesus Christ has done for us. And what makes this invitation especially powerful is it's written to a group of people who are ready to throw in the towel. It's written to a group of people that are ready to tap out. It's written to a group of people that are asking the question, is following Jesus really worth it? Right? This is a group of people who are experiencing collective suffering together. These are people... It's written to Jewish Christians who, um, if you know anything about the Hebrew culture, they're a very community-based group of people. And um, as they are relating to one another, when they step out and follow Jesus, they begin to immediately become ostracized in their own community. So they were maligned, they were mocked, they were persecuted. They begin to lose their status in the community. Their things were stolen from them. They were thrown into prison. So this is a group of people that are asking the question that if you are in the midst of suffering here this morning that you might be asking, is following Jesus really worth it? Because if you've been a Christian for more than about five minutes, you know that being a Christian and following a crucified Messiah and following him in the midst of a dark and a broken world is difficult, right? All you have to do is live long enough and you will suffer. All you have to do in this life is continue to follow the road of a crucified Savior and it will take you Face to face with the reality of suffering, it will take you right in the middle of sacrifice. And you're going to be tempted in those moments to say, is this worth it? Is following Jesus worth it? Is he big enough to satisfy me? Or, right, should I respectfully remain distant from him? Right, Because they, they were experiencing the pressure of the culture to just say, you know what, this, this whole Jesus thing, it's not really worth it. I mean, you, you can come back to your roots and you can come back and experience wholeness and peace and all of these things. But in the midst of all this, God gives them an enduring picture that helps to anchor them when they're asking the question, is it really worth it? Which brings me to my first point this morning. In light of our great high priest, we 
hold fast our confession. In light of our great high priest, we hold fast our confession. We are confessional people, right? What, when we're talking about our confession, that's the things that we deeply believe. They're the things that hold us together when it seems like everything else is trying to pull us apart. Our confession is what anchors us. And in these moments, what's tempted to happen for the people, the Hebrew people that are receiving this letter, is they're tempted to abandon their confession. And in the midst of all this, what God says in the midst of this is, I want you to get a picture of something so beautiful and so lasting that it will anchor you when everything else wants to pull your heart and your life apart. I want to give you a picture of my son as your high priest who is living to make intercession for you. In the Old Testament, the, the High priest was the one that identified people with God and God with people. Jesus as our high priest is our mediator. Now, that's not a word that we use a whole lot, but I mean, you can think about a mediator is someone that brings two parties together. So, you know, if a business deal goes bad, you know, and there's losses on both sides, but there's some kind of vested interest that these two business partners stay together, they bring in a mediator and they begin to work out a negotiation or a settlement. That's what a mediator does. But what makes Jesus, our high priest, so amazing? He's the only one that's offended in this relationship, and he's the one that becomes the mediator. He's the one that takes on the penalty and takes on the loss that's naturally ours so that we would have a right relationship with God. We hold fast our confession because we have a great high priest. This begins to help us to get our hands around the fact of the incarnation, what we're going to celebrate at Christmas, the fact that Jesus actually is human, right? I mean, I think most of us can get our minds around the fact that, that Jesus is God, right? And then he came into the world. But what this is saying is Jesus himself so identifies with you and so identifies with the things that you're going through that he took on flesh to represent you. That he is your high priest. That he is your mediator. This is a command for us to hold fast our confession. And the reason that this passage is in the Bible is because everything else in our lives can be shaken outside of our relationship with Jesus. Right? We have to hold fast our confession because you're going to walk through seasons and circumstances that shake you. Every human relationship, I don't care how close they are to you, they will let you down and those relationships will be shaken. And that's why it's important in those moments to hold fast to your confession, right? Every material possession, and this is especially important In this culture where we think that material things can bring us life. Everything that's new and shiny, right? If you have an iPhone 6, there's an iPhone 7 and there'll be an iPhone 8. All of those things will let you down. They will never deliver what they promise. Every material possession will be shaken. We as human beings, we will experience loss. 
right? This is a fallen world. We do follow a crucified Messiah. We will experience relational loss. We will experience financial loss. And in all of those things, we have to hold fast to our confession because you want to know why? Our confession, Jesus Christ holds fast to us. He is our great high priest. God's grip on us, even in the midst of the darkest seasons of our souls, is greater than our grip on Him. The book of Hebrews is so rich because it gives us these pictures of Jesus that anchor us in the midst of suffering. It's the book of Hebrews that gives us the picture that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. And we need it because everything else will let us down apart from Jesus Christ. Now, this is where this can go from just being theology to being personal and real. There is suffering that's going on inside this room that I cannot identify with. There are seasons, just like we sing about in worship, When you will run out of tears, you will not have words to say. When it will seem like everything is pulling your soul apart. And it's in those moments where I can say, I don't identify with you, but there is one who does. And his name is Jesus. And he is especially close to those that are suffering. He's especially close to those that are brokenhearted so that they can draw near and find mercy and grace and help in their time of need. So think about your life. You won't have to think far. Where are you being shaken right now? Where are you tempted in those moments to think maybe God has abandoned you? Well, this picture of Jesus as our great high priest anchors us and we can hold fast our confession because he's holding on to us. Which brings me to my second point this morning. In light of our great high priest, we receive his sympathetic ministry. In light of our great high priest, we receive his sympathetic ministry. A.W. Tozer has famously said, What comes to mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you. And maybe is that statement no more applicable except in seasons of suffering. The picture that God gives us in the midst of this is a great high priest who is sympathetic towards us. For Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Right. So what is Jesus' posture towards you in the midst of your weakness? What is Jesus' posture towards you in the midst of your suffering? Where does Jesus' posture towards you when you feel like everything is trying to tear your soul apart? Jesus is sympathetic towards you. And so the invitation, this is, this is why we gather on a Sunday morning. This is why we sing songs. Because we have a sympathetic high priest who actually wants to minister his presence to you. 
right? That's why we're in the room on a Sunday morning, because all of life is going to tell you that God is against you. But when we come together as the people of God and we hold fast to our confession, we get to receive the sympathetic ministry of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. This zeroes in on the fact that that Jesus is human, that he experienced rejection, and he experienced loss, and he experienced grieving, all of those things so that he can bring sympathetic ministry to you. He knows what it's like to want to see people that are religious to break out of their bondage and their shame and come near. He knows what it's like to cry his eyes out. He knows what it's like to be tempted, right? We so often reimagine God according to our circumstances. We think that God somehow must be disgusted with us. Is that right? You think about that in your temptations? Do you know who the most sympathetic person in the universe to your temptations are? It's Jesus Christ himself because he became a human. He became a human so that he could be sympathetic towards you in your temptations. But not so that you're just like some kind of cute, cuddly puppy, right? That's not the kind of sympathy that he has. He says, I know that it's hard to be a human. I know that it's hard to resist sin. I know that it's hard. But he resisted sin to the point of shedding his own blood so that you could experience his victory on your behalf so that you could have an anchor of your soul when you're discouraged. When you're discouraged by your level of sanctification, you have to receive the ministry of a sympathetic high priest who lives to plead for you. He is sympathetic towards exactly what you're going through this morning. Sunday morning is about receiving the sympathetic ministry of our great high priest. This means that God has faith for the process, right? You may lose heart, you may lose perspective, but God never loses heart or perspective for you. That's why we have a great high priest. This means that God is sympathetic towards our struggles, so much so that he sent his son to the cross so that we would experience victory. I came across this quote this week and I think it's, it's very helpful in the sense that Jesus is sympathetic towards the things about yourself that you would like to change about you. Douglas Copeland, who is a novelist, said this. He says, a few years ago, it dawned on me that everybody past a certain age pretty much constantly dreams of being able to escape from their lives. They don't want to be who they are anymore. They want out. This list includes Thurston Howell III, that's from Gilligan's Islands for you younger folks, and Margaret, the cast of Rent, Space Shuttle Astronauts, and Snuffleupagus. It is universal. So what this passage says, the things that you want to change about yourself, whether it's the way that you look, whether it's your self-image, whatever that's about you that you wish you could change, in that moment, God himself is sympathetic towards you. God is sympathetic towards people that are not sympathetic towards themselves, which means that we can come out of hiding. 
It means that we can come out of the shadows. It means that God delights in actually who he's made you to be. That means that we can draw near with confidence because God loves us as we are. And by his grace, he's making us into the image of Jesus Christ. He's not anxious about where you are. He knows exactly where he's taking you. We have a sympathetic high priest who is eager for us to receive his ministry. This means that God does not share your self-assessment of yourself, right? Jesus always sees you in light of your great high priest who is now seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. His perfection is your perfection. His relationship with the Father is your relationship with the Father so that you can experience mercy and help in your time of need. Where are you tempted to think that God is not sympathetic towards you? Right? What do you wish you could change? What parts of your story do you wish you could rewrite? It's that part that you need most. The sympathy of our great high priest who knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to suffer. And he knows what it's like to be you. And his invitation is to draw near and to experience his mercy and grace, and help in our time of need. Which brings me to my final point this morning. In light of our great high priest, we can confidently draw near. I love that word, confidently, right? We, most of the time, can disqualify ourselves from all the things that God says about us and wants for us. But we can confidently draw near. I'm going to tell you the story about the time I met John Piper. Um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with John Piper, but around the early 2000s, I mean, probably everybody, right? So if you're here, you probably have heard of him. Um, He, in fact, uh, especially this time frame, probably was the rock star of the evangelical world. I mean, everywhere this guy went, um, arenas were packed. Um, uh, It's just an amazing experience. And and I was a fanboy. I'm not going to lie. I mean, you can go in my office. I've got my John Piper section. You can tell, like, early 2000s. Like, I read everything that the man wrote. And he's an excellent gift to the body of Christ. And so... um, I had a friend who was leading a conference at the time, and John Piper was one of the speakers. And um, I mean, I've always wanted to meet John Piper, but the reason I wanted to meet John Piper in this particular moment had nothing to do with me personally. Um, I was friends with a couple, and the wife was terminally ill. She had uh, developed lung cancer, and she was um, really on her last leg very early on in her cancer journey, she was at a party talking to a friend in Minnesota, and who was on the other end of the phone ended up being John Piper, who actually heard about her story and wanted to communicate his personal care to her. And that moment for my friend, this couple that was suffering, became a defining moment for them. And so when they found out that I was going to a conference that John Piper was going to be at, They just said, if you could find John Piper, not an easy task, (laughs) and tell them, tell him just how much that moment meant to us. And so 
Thankfully, um, it's a small world. I did know the guy that was running the conference. I didn't know John Piper. And he said, well, I, I relayed the story to him. And he said, I think I can help you. He said, I want you to stay till the end of the conference. And then I'll get you a couple of minutes with John Piper. And so we're talking about an arena where there's probably 5,000 people. And every single one of them at least seemed like they wanted to get some time with John Piper. And so if you know him, though, he's really uncomfortable with this. I mean, what I remember about meeting John Piper is he's a really small guy, you know? I mean, I thought if I bear hugged him too hard, um, I could take him down. Anyway, so I find myself, here's John Piper, there's thousands of people. I'm kind of just over to the side, and my friend says, hey, Dr. Piper, I, there's someone I, I need you to meet. And so he, he ushers John Piper over. We have a one-on-one conversation. I was able to relay the story to him, and he was grateful that that moment meant, meant something to them, and I, I had him sign a, a book for them, and I took it back, and that was meaningful to them in their time of suffering. And I, I think about that story in relation to this passage because... I think it, it really does temper how we view worship, right? Now, most of us view ourselves as one of the crowd, right? Like we just want to somehow catch a moment with John Piper. You can insert God. Like I'm in this crowd and I hope that some way, somewhere, I might be able to encounter something of God, right? That's how we are. But what Jesus always does is take people out of the crowd and individually forms intimacy and has ministry for them, right? We have this unlimited, unrestricted access to God. The invitation of this passage is to draw near to God, right? And it says in the book of James, James chapter 4, that as we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. That, there is no greater promise in all of the Bible that we can draw near to God and He will draw near to us. That the reason that we're on this planet, the thing that we long for is this transcendence and experiencing the power and the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here, that we accept this invitation to draw near. We draw near because every barrier has been removed between you and God, right? Your sin cannot keep you back from experiencing the presence of God. Your fears, your doubts, your insecurities, all of those things have been put away by our great high priest who has opened a way so that we can draw near and experience the presence of God. Now I want to I want to I want to I want to drill down on this because we want to be good thinkers. God is omnipresent, right? You heard that word? That means he's everywhere equally present. Psalm 139. He knows when you rise up, he knows when you sit down. You can't go to the highest heavens. He's there. You can't go to the depths of the earth. He is there. That is not what Hebrews 4 is talking about. This is talking about the manifest presence of God. His special nearness. His presence that envelops His people. See, omnipresence can awe us and inspire us. But it's His manifest presence that comforts us, 
and heals us and changes us. So this is an invitation from the God of the universe to draw near to him. And as you draw near to him, he will draw near to you and he will help you to find mercy and grace in your time of need. So this isn't talking about omnipresent. This is talking about manifest presence of God. Now, we can't make this happen, but we do have these wonderful promises that as we um, pour out our souls to God and as we are desperate for him, that he actually meets us with the gift of himself, right? And I'm going to be honest with you. Like, if God consistently doesn't meet you, like, we need to be doing something else, right? Something's wrong. That is, if you look at the Old Testament, the distinguishing marker that makes the people of God distinct is the presence of God. Right? So there should be something about when we come together and we sing songs and we're responding to sermons where you are experiencing the nearness and the kindness of God. Right? And when that's absent, we should mourn. Right? We, that's, that's the reason that in the book of Hebrews it says, hey, don't neglect Coming together as is the habit of some. It's not so that pastors can have a job. It's not so that a building can be full. It's so that the presence of God can come and do personal ministry for the people of God. And there's something that happens unique in this context that does not happen in a small group. It does not happen in your quiet times. It's when we are all focused and we're all reoriented around God. And we come and he loves to make himself known in these contexts. So we're talking about... God in himself inviting us to draw near. We get to experience the nearness and the kindness of God. I just want to say this. This is not something that's valued in our culture, right? Um, most planning that goes into a Sunday service is how fast can I get them in? How fast can I get them out? How fast can I make sure that they have this kind of slick marketing presentation? You know? But this is prophetically what's going to happen in this country, right? The favor that we experience as the people of God in a country where there's some kinds of favor of, of being a Christian. That will go away, right? And the only thing that will hold the people of God together, it's not going to be, hey, what, what program do you have on Wednesday night? It's going to be, is God really present among you, right? You know what your neighborhood needs? It's the manifest presence of God. They don't need us to do some gigantic outreach, but they need people that have experienced the nearness and the kindness of God. That's what makes it missional, right? So as, as the country continues to grow, I mean, we're going to be more and more marginalized as the people of God. And, and this is honestly, I mean, and I say this with sadness in my heart, like, some of you are going to fall away, right? Some of you are going to fall away because that's not why you're here, right? You're here. You're here because you want to check a box. But the only reason 
to be in a room like this on a Sunday morning is because God is here and he invites you to draw near. And cultural Christianity will pass away, but the presence of God will keep the people of God from now until that day. So... Let us not wait until persecution comes. Let us not wait till the, just like the Hebrews, when our possessions are taken away and our political status is taken away. Let us draw near now while we have this wonderful privilege, right? And this is what, this is what sustains the church around the world, the ones that are meeting in China, um, the, the ones that are meeting underground in places. <laughs> it's all about God meeting with them through one another and experiencing his nearness together. That's what worship is about, right? It's drawing near to the presence of God because we have this great high priest. That's what we're going to experience forever. So in light of this, let us draw near Let us cast aside every weight and every burden, everything that we think should keep us from that, and let us experience his nearness and his grace. The invitation for you, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I don't mean say a prayer, because I almost assume everyone in this room has said a religious prayer in their life. But I'm talking about Faith means resting in this promise that we can experience the presence of God. So if, if, that, if, if there's something in your heart that sparks, that says, I, I've never tasted that. Well, that's God inviting you to place your faith fresh in Jesus. That's what conversion is, is a, a longing to be connected in intimate ways with God. So God invites you because of what Jesus has done to draw near. Not for a show, not because you're afraid of judgment one day, but because it's what you are created for. We're created for relationship and intimacy. So if that applies to you, I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to share the good news of Jesus, that he invites you to come just as you are so that he can meet you with himself. For the rest of us, we're going to continue to worship and we're going to draw near by celebrating communion and singing. And this morning, I do think that God has a particular burden for those of you that are suffering. I think he wants to meet you with his presence and I'm going to pray for that. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that in the midst of soul-shaking seasons, that we would draw near to you. I pray that you would be near to the brokenhearted. I pray that you would save the crushed in spirit. I pray that your manifest presence would be in this room. Father, I pray that you would remind us and you would refresh us with yourself. I pray that you would help us to experience your nearness and your grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.